to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, uh, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In this great dialogue between Jesus and ultimately Peter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon the rock, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. So back to Revelation really quickly. Uh, mentioned last week, when you look at that term church, the church isn't a geographical place. It's just not. It's, it is in, it's people meet at a geographical destination, but it's not a geographical place. I will say, though, when you just look, and on the handout that I prepared for this week, uh, there, is, there is a geographical uh, reference point that really bears looking at in the Revelation uh, as we kind of get some understanding here, the significance of this statement, the prophecy, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, that's uh, you and I, uh, the things which must shortly take place. And so to understand that and then moving to that verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, just so you'll know, if you, if you had a, a map of antiquity and you knew where the Isle of Patmos was, and that's where John was exiled, and, and you were to look across that little, uh, little distance of water between Patmos and land, uh, the seven churches were a part of a Roman mail route. So the mail route, uh, ran through uh, in conjunction these cities. So there was a, just a practical, all seven of the churches would have been at, at the very most within 150 miles uh, of uh, the Isle of Patmos. So there were some practical things to those seven churches. Uh, you also, if you were alive 2,000 years ago, and the very first thing that would have come to your mind and going back to, if you were a Christian, is that's why I read the passage out of Matthew 16, uh, is their understanding and our understanding uh, needs to be rooted when we think about church, when we talk about church, it's his church. He said it's my church and he would establish it. And it would be on the basis of the rock of faith, not so much just Peter, it was Peter's statement of faith that ignited that statement, um, but that it is his church. It's an eternal church and it cannot and will not be defeated. They would have thought that. Uh, the church, obviously the day of Pentecost. Read about it in the second chapter of the book of Acts. 
The church, what we know today, what you and I are part of today, uh, was established on the day of Pentecost through the preaching of Peter. If you move to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, there was a great what's called a dispersion. Uh, and so there was a great uh, persecution of the first century Christians. And because of that, we see the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verses 8. The next step in that, Jesus had told his apostles prior to his ascension, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, wait there, you're going to receive power on high, and you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then even the remotest parts of the earth. And so from Acts chapter 2, the church is established. Jesus established his church. Uh, They've been given a commission, Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The, the starting point was in Jerusalem. You go to Acts chapter 8, you get this persecution, and they're spread out. Now they're going to Judea and Samaria. And so if you were alive 2,000 years ago, and you got a copy of John's Revelation, if you were one of those seven churches in a Roman mail route, and John, one of the original apostles, sends a letter to the church, a revelation of Jesus Christ from God, you naturally would have, there would have been a common knowledge that the church was a church. Geographically, there were places, but it was the people of God that Christ had established, beginning at Pentecost, dispersed through persecution. And then also, if you read the book of Acts in its entirety, what do you have? You have the three missionary trips of Paul. And so, 2,000 years ago, all of that would have been a part of your thinking when you're thinking about a revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches. Now, seven. Remember, I said to you last week that if you were alive 2,000 years ago and that if you were reading this, and number seven, the, absolutely the mental connection would have been, and I had that handout last week, Seven was a number that represented uh, really three things uh, in, in, in view seven. Oh, seven. The first was completion and perfection. Talked about that two weeks ago. Completion and perfection. That number seven last week. So the number seven to God's people 2,000 years ago, to the Jews 1,500 years prior to that, meant, oh, so this testimony, this revelation, this prophecy would be perfect. It would be complete. It would have to do with honor, uh, exoneration and healing. And healing and then promises and oaths. We'll talk about that, the fulfillment of God's promises and oaths. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you about uh, the, the exoneration and the healing dynamic. I... Because, uh, because I'm in ministry um, and because I think, I hope I'm trying to pay attention, um, just like many of you, obviously we live in a time where uh, it's a lot of unrest, um, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Uh, we're hearing something different almost daily. Um, if we're not dealing just with the pandemic um, and the uncertainty about that, we're also dealing with a, a country that is divided. The protests, the riots. Uh, we're in a, an election year politically, culturally. 
this country is divided. I, I did have this conversation again with a gentleman this last week. We're not yet divided to the point where we have taken up arms against each other as we did in 1861 to 1865. Uh, we're not to that point. Maybe we'll get there. I, I don't know. Uh, but we're a divided country. I mentioned the reference point last week. And if you were to consider the persecution that the first century church was under, I, I will say um, I don't believe that we can legitimately compare what was going on in the life of the church, Christians, 2,000 years ago with today. I, I know things are relative. We say things, all things are relative. But if you were a Christian 2,000 years ago, and you talk about having a reason to hide that faith or not to assemble or, or to, to live in fear, um, there was a significant portion of the Jewish elite who were persecuting Christians. There was a significant portion of the Roman government that was jailing, killing, uh, persecuting Christians. And so when God told the apostles, you, you go to Jerusalem, you wait. You're going to receive power from on high. You're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. By the time John, one of those original 12, has been exiled as a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, uh, decades, decades have passed since the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. John is alive. He's an older man. He's a, a religious prisoner. And, and the things that were happening to Christians at that point in history, uh, the word that comes to mind is horrific. As difficult as things are right now, we still, we still celebrate and should celebrate. We have much freedom in this country. I believe more than anywhere else in the world to exercise our faith. Uh, I'm uneasy. Should be uneasy. Our religious freedoms are being tested. Christ is being openly mocked. Christians are being openly mocked. Ridiculed. Uh, the things that we have taken for granted are being uh, represented throughout the land in the court system. Things that you and I have taken for granted. There's landmark cases right now in several of the federal district uh, courthouses throughout the land that is challenging the church's right uh, for tax and exclusion of paying our taxes. That's just one. There's several uh, challenges that are taking place right now, and, uh, and we've even seen it recently. It happened in Houston, the mayor of Houston, just within the last two years. Uh, the mayor of one of the largest cities in the nation said that Christians, churches that use hate speech should be censored by the government, should use, lose their tax-free status by the government. They should be identified by the government. This has happened. It happened less than 100 miles from here. It's very vocal. And we kind of maybe we forget that. And I could go on and on and on. And the hate speech 
was identified as a scriptural teaching and then a preacher preaching that about sexual immorality. So in other words, if a preacher were to quote a passage of scripture uh, that the scripture is very clear concerning homosexuality, fornication, adultery, that would be considered hate speech. This is what's happening. Now we, we are still celebrating faith here and our freedom to exercise that. I just mention that as I move forward because I don't want us to fall into the trap and maybe read this and, and compare ourselves. Listen, these people were threatened in a way that you and I, I hope, I hope um, that we'll never have to endure, but they're being threatened in a way that you and I probably really, truly, if you do the study, couldn't imagine. Their own family members were turning them in. And I will say this, here's a challenge, church. I mentioned this last week. Why wouldn't you assemble today? Obviously because of this fear of a virus. I, I get that. Maybe it's just an excuse to not. And there are people. I will not judge anyone's heart, but I am quite sure that I can comfortably say there are people that are not assembling just because now they have a convenient excuse not to. God knows. That'll be between them and God. So, but I want you to consider 2,000 years ago. Now, we have a threat, a pandemic, a virus that we cannot see, information about that virus that the professionals don't agree. Science, every time I hear someone say, oh, well, science, I, which science? <laughs> because it doesn't matter. This group of doctors will say this, and this group of doctors will say this, so I don't know which science to, I guess it depends on what side of the political aisle they're on. But, um, so we can't trust the information. But what I do know is that 2,000 years ago, something they could see as they gathered on the first day of the week, which was a work day in a small community, little communities throughout Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today, Palestine, all the way to Rome. And, and every time they assembled, there was a threat, not a virus, but an armed cohort threat of somebody showing up with weapons to arrest you and throw you in a Roman jail and torture you. And you know what? Do the history. They continued to assemble. We've not yet faced that kind of threat. They did. And the proof that they continued to assemble, you're witnessing it right here. Jesus said, I'm going to build a church, his church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It'll be based upon Peter, a, a rock, Petra, the rock of faith, Christ being that rock. And because, because Jesus did that, and first century Christians lived according to that. Here you and I are 2,000 years later in Curtin, Texas, enjoying the freedom to assemble because of fearless and faithful Christians who believed in the word of Christ Almighty, the Almighty.
Now, if you look at your handout, I, I do want to define Jesus Christ. I want to define Jesus Christ. So we just hear Jesus Christ, and probably when you hear it, it's just an image. It's an image maybe very much like what we see up here in this class with Jesus in Gethsemane, the garden praying. Uh, you, you think of the, the man, the individual, Jesus Christ. If you were alive 2,000 years ago and you read in verse 1 of Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is what it meant to them. It meant Jesus, the names had huge significance. Huge significance. Every name, title, phrase in the Bible had a huge significance. Jesus would have meant God saves. Christ meant the anointed king of Israel. So the revelation of God saving us through the anointed king of Israel is what they would have read. You and I should do the same. The revelation of God saving, the salvation of God through the anointed king of Israel. Israel meant, it, it meant uh, the people of God who strive with God, going back to Jacob and him wrestling with God, striving with God. So this revelation is of the God and from the God who saves through the anointed king of the people who strive with God. So just start right there. Uh, and then I want you to look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. Go with me to uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Church, I'm, I'm not going to get to the verses on God healing through the church uh, for time's sake this morning. We're going to spend all of our time there next week. But just to get to that point, as we look at that perfect and complete revelation of God who saves through the anointed king of the people who strive with God to those seven churches, that complete and perfect, exonerating, healing message, uh, you have to look at this statement back there in that Revelation chapter three, chapter 1, verse 3, a blessed who reads, those who hear the words of the prophecy, and Heed the things which are written in it. Now, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's see. Where did I, I think I'll start in, uh, let's go verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren. This you know. Well, let's go back to uh, uh, verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. There's so much harmony you could do in scripture there. We don't have time this morning. But so verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of, of wickedness and humility receive the word receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul 
But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But he who looks, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, at, by looking at it and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So church, I want to say to you, so 2,000 years ago, John sending a letter out in a mail route to seven churches that were within 150 miles, a prophecy, a revelation from God. And the first thing that he said is that you better hear it, you better read it, you better hear it, and you better heed it. Now, I don't know about how your time is spent during the week. God does, but I don't. God does, and you should. I should. I should be able to say, from when I get up in the morning to when I go, I know what Aubrey Rogers is doing. Then I should be able to say, what's the value of what Aubrey Rogers is doing? What's the value? What is, does it have any value? Or is it just worthless? Or is it valuable in the sight of God? We live in trying times. Maybe not as difficult as 2,000 years ago. I have a suspicion that things over the next three months are going to get worse. I think we're going to hear things and learn things and see things. I think lawlessness is what the scripture says will increase. I think decorum is out the window. I think uh, civility. I think it's going to be terrible what we witness. But you and I are the church with the body of Christ. That word means... Ecclesia, which means the called out, the assembled, the congregation. That's who you and I are. Jesus said, I'm going to establish an assembly of people who are called out and become a congregation. And their role in the world is to be uh, if you go down, is to be salt, light, and a sweet aroma. Our purpose, church, I'm going to really slam this together pretty quick here. But the church that Jesus established is people that he assembled, he called out, and he has called to congregate for one purpose, and that is to honor him. How do you honor him? Well, we honor him as a bride. We're not talking about this morning. A nation, his children, the kingdom of God, his body. But the personality is salt that he talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Sermon of the Mount, light, sweet aroma. He references sweet fragrance, aroma, acceptable sacrifice in Philippians 4. 2 Corinthians 2, that sweet fragrance and aroma. All those have a biblical setting. So you and I, he established us, he's left us here, and we have a purpose to honor him, and that 
the way we honor him, it, you, it's a sweet aroma. It could, somebody could, oh, that smell. Oh, that, that is nice. And you can see it. And it's valuable. And we're not here, but when we look at the messages to those seven churches, they all come with a warning. They all come with rebuke and reproof and a challenge and an admonition. And and he says, if you don't get it right, I'm going to remove your lampstand. The church, the Zion Church of Curtin has a lampstand. Christ is the head of this church. And from the heavens, when we talk about the seven spirits, two, maybe three weeks from now, it is visible. And just as Christ spoke to those churches 2,000 years ago, what would his message be to us? Well, you do this and you do this. I have this against you. And if you don't get it right, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I have witnessed in years of ministry the removing of lampstands of assembled people, called out people who congregate. I have seen the removal of lampstands. Talked to a great individual uh, this last with Bible professor, and they said over 400 churches in America, churches of Christ, because it's Abilene Christian University, have closed their doors in the last, since COVID hit. He said, and the numbers are the same for Baptist churches, Methodist churches, I mean, they've closed their doors. He said, we tracked that. I think there's like 37, 3,800 churches of Christ. Now, listen, I was a church of Christ preacher for many years. And I, the significance is just the conversation. So in the last three months, four months, 400 have shut their door. And, and he said, it's interesting. Who would you naturally think was shutting their doors? Well, probably small rural churches who, you know, the membership is down and maybe it's aging and they can't pay their bills. Oh, is that what you think? Yeah. He said, there's certainly some truth to that. He said, but interestingly enough, what we're finding, what is happening right now is something else that's happening. Some of those places where you think, man, they don't have the budget, they don't have the money, they don't have the people, They're flourishing. Flourishing. Their lampstand is even brighter. Boy, I'm telling you all this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is Near. When we talked last week, Peter's statement about the way God keeps time. A thousand years is a day to the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. Church, I want to say to you about this revelation from the God who saves to the people from the anointed king or through the anointed king from the people that strive with God to a persecuted church 2,000 years ago. I would just say to us, it's time to be church.
what it's time to be, the assembled, called out congregation of God. It was time then, it's time, it's time now. Next week we're going to talk about specifically, specifically, the healing role of the body of Christ. And I have to tell you, I, I challenge you to read these passages, God's healing through the church next week. Because the application was true then, the application is true now. But I don't know what your day, I'm going to go back to that. It's almost like a large parenthesis there. But I want you to, what are you reading? And if you're reading it, do you hear it? And if you're hearing it, are you heeding it? America has more Bibles than any nation in the world. You aware of that? There are more Bibles in America than anywhere in the world. I would wager that everybody here has three or four of them in their house. Uh, at least. This is the revelation. This is the prophecy. And, and some, maybe you read, read it some, and then you read it, well, I don't understand that. I, I read it, but I'm not really hearing it. Well, if you're not reading it, you'll never hear it. And if you never hear it, you'll never understand it. You, you won't heed it. The scripture says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So church, before we talk about the, the exoneration and the healing that is part of that number seven, and the prophecy to the church that Christ established, the anointed king of Israel, we've got to start exactly where he's starting. These are troublesome times. What is that him? Troublesome times are here. How's that go? Troublesome times are here. And it, I, it's a great song. And we could just live day by day. But when you see next week the healing, the healing mandate and role of the body of Christ and the role that God established it for and the role that we're supposed to be living by. I hope that it hones each of us in our heart to start really reflecting on who and what God has called us to be. I think that America has fallen into a terrible trap of Christianity becoming, the, the, the Christian community in America has become very self-serving. Very self-serving. Very culturally, I mean, looks more like the culture than, than what God and how God has described us and purposed us for. We look more like the world that we live in many times rather than the church. I will finish by saying, we know Arby, uh, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make me happy to you know, start to issue the challenge of Scripture here. Um, 
you know, the scripture very clearly talks about the role of preaching, the motivation of preaching. Paul would say there's those that preach for financial gain. He says, leave them alone. That's not. We don't, we just leave them alone. Um, he said there'll be preachers that want to tickle somebody's ears. He said they, they just want to tickle their ears. And he said, and, and God's people will want those preachers. And then when you look at all the sermons that have been preached, Genesis through Revelation, you'll find that none of them, not one, tickles an ear. Not one. Doesn't exist. Not one of them would have aligned themselves with the culture at any time. Jesus never preached a culturally relevant sermon. John the Baptist, no prophet. Not one. They never watered down the words that God gave them because they understood something. This is what they understood. This is where I'll finish. They understood that the demonic was real. They understood that Satan indeed prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. They understood the carnality of our flesh and how easily we're tempted. They understood the value of a lost soul that God died on the cross for. Did you hear me? They understood the value of a lost soul that Christ died for. So the commission going to all the world meant more to preach the gospel. It wasn't about satisfying a congregation, um, wanting people to be happy so that the attendance numbers would go up and the financial statement would look good. And the reason they understood that is because they had read the revelation. They bore witness to the word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ, God who saves through the anointed king of the people who strive with God. They read it, they heard it, and they heeded it. Because they understood that there were souls. Each of us here has a mother and a father and a brother and a sister and a wife and children, neighbors. There's a soul that was going to live forever. And the most important thing that they need from the body of Christ and from its preachers and from its people is to read the Word of God, hear the Word of God, heed the Word of God, and show it to His bondservants. The things which must shortly take place bear witness to the Word of God. Because the man that left the garden was arrested by an ungodly, unruly mob. He was whipped, beaten, spit upon, cursed, called a liar. 
called a liar. You and I should be very careful when we call someone a liar. There's only one that has that position. And there's only one who loves it. And that's Satan. He's the father of all lies. His native tongue is deception. There's nothing he loves better than to hear you and I, a Christian, call somebody a liar. He loves it. He really revels in it. Now you're doing his job. Because the one who could have called each and every one a liar, rightfully so, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have you read that word? Have you heard it? Do you heed it? But because before you and I can understand the healing role and purpose of the church, we best understand that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be called your children. Father, I hope and pray that we can understand the healing, the healing mission that you have given us and the sevenfold consequences that come for that, that we're blessed and we will bless so many others through the healing ministry of the church that you've given us as a part of your complete and perfect will and the exoneration and the forgiveness that comes with it and the healing that is promised. As we move to that lesson next week, Father, I pray that this congregation, I pray that we are reading your word, we are hearing your word, and we are heeding your word because we understand the lost souls in a dark and dying world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We now come to the Lord.